When you have access to energy, anything is possible. You have a lot of people around the world that basically spend their entire lives just staying alive. Now you bring a system like ours in, and not only does it provide power, but it provides connectivity. Welcome to the Non-Zero Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aaron Kanad, and I'm here with Jonathan Knight. He's the co-founder and CEO of Uprise Energy. They're creating the world's first commercially sized portable wind turbine. I said it as in, in, in the future tense, but you guys have created this. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the mic. Hey, thank you. Uh, good to be here, Aaron. Good to, good to talk to you again. So there's a ton that I want to get into. I love having the conversation. Um, we're not just talking about alternative energy. I, I really like the the innovation that you guys are bringing to the space in the sense that this is a portable wind turbine and the ease of use, just everything that you guys are doing to make this accessible, to bring down the cost um, is, is really makes it a, a different story than one you hear more often when you're just talking about kilowatt hours. Um, but we do, we, we are going to get into that. So can you give us a little bit of background um, on yourself and, and kind of leading into how you, how you got to be the founder or co-founder of Uprise Energy? Well, sure. Uh, so I grew up in a family that uh, was in, in the boat business. My dad founded a, uh, a boat building company uh, out of the back of his pickup truck when he was in his 20s. And that company went on to be one of the largest and most well-respected custom yacht manufacturers in the world. And that yacht manufacturing uh, evolved into marine repair. Uh, we operated the largest marine repair facility on the West Coast of the Americas. Um, you know, he built over 100 one-off custom yachts out of fiberglass, and we serviced uh, somewhere around 40,000 boats in the boatyard up to 400 feet. And But the, the company had a reputation of being leaders with composites. Um, the, the boats that we were building were fiberglass. And because of that reputation, uh, the large wind turbine companies came to us in the early 90s because they were experiencing some serial failures with their large wind turbine blades. Mm -hmm. uh, these big, heavy blades were, were flexing, and they were stressing the root, and they were cracking. And so they started sending wind turbine blades to our uh, boatyard, and we began repairing blades. And that blade repair business was successful, and it evolved into new blade manufacturing, where we were manufacturing wind turbine blades for all the big companies, um, the GEs, Bestus, and so on. And it didn't take long for us to realize it was more efficient to service these wind farms in the field where they were, rather than having these great big wind turbine blades shipped to our waterfront facility in San Diego. And so we set up a field service division that grew to be pretty big, a few hundred employees that were servicing wind farms all around the world. And Probably, um, you know, the crowning achievement of that company was when we collaborated with the Department of Energy to develop the STAR blade. STAR, uh, an acronym, stands for Sweep, Twist, Adaptive Rotor. And that turbine blade had some unique features. Uh, it was designed specific for low wind speed environments. And uh, at the time, it was the very best performing wind turbine blade ever built. And as far as I know, I think it may still have that designation. Uh, so is your dad, 
is he is is your dad an engineer and are you it sounds like what you guys really have have where where you've succeeded is in really being innovative engineers um and the the yacht industry was just kind of where you were uh using utilizing those skills is is that fair i mean do you do you um, think of yourself and your family as first and foremost boat builders who just lucked in or chanced into to the the wind turbine industry, or do you think, hey, a, as an engineer, anytime we see a problem, if if it presents itself, we can probably find a solution? Yeah, well, so my dad is an engineer. He's a marine engineer that went to the Cal Maritime Academy. Um, He's actually uh, awarded the Distinguished Alumni Award here um, recently from the Cal Maritime because of his professional accomplishments. Um, but yeah, he, he is a creative engineer that has developed some unique solutions. Um, he's, a, he's a problem solver. And so uh, as the boating industry evolved, uh, fuel prices changed, uh, fishing prices changed, you name it, uh, he was the guy that was able to respond to the trends and come up with good solutions. So the the wind energy business, I kind of chuckle about it because it did land in our lap. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. that we went out uh, to work in. But as soon as those wind blades started coming, uh, I can remember walking the shop floor with my dad and and he he would point out uh, features about the wind turbines and, you know, just kind of scratch his head and say, wonder why they do it like that. Well, you know, it'd probably be better if they did this and this. And, uh, but at that time we were just following somebody else's contract and, you know, performing work, but he, uh, he retired. I exited that business and a couple of years went by and the importance of renewable energy was just getting bigger and bigger. And it was clear that that was the future. So, um, you know, I, I called up my dad and said, Hey, you know, I, I think we might want to look at uh, re-entering this market. You know, I, I, I think we could do something. And so, you know, very quickly we said, all right, well, there's a lot of big wind turbine companies and there's good companies out there. That's not something we want to compete with, but wait a second, there is a big gap in the market for edge of grid electrification. And you know, the, the, Wow, 40% of the world's population doesn't have access to reliable power? Huh. And why is that? Well, the, the main reason is because the power grid just doesn't extend to all parts of the world. And, and it never will, um, because power grids are really expensive to install. Mm-hmm. And so, um, okay, well, so the answer is you got to make the power where the people are. And, you know, well, right now, the, the primary provider to those people are diesel generators. And uh, diesel, um, you know, beyond the environmental consequence, it's really expensive. And, you know, this is just a big engine of sorts that's burning diesel engine in order to create energy that exactly. you can then plug, plug appliances or anything really into and, and, and power. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, diesel generators come in all shapes and sizes from, you know, small personal use to, you know, big utility uh, grid providers. But but that wasn't the solution. You know, the, the answer is to make the power, do it from a renewable source and do it where the customers are. And uh, as we analyze what the options were, um, you know, hy- hydroelectric is wonderful, but very few people live close enough to those moving bodies of water 
to really uh, take advantage of that. And so um, the solar, you know, solar is great. We love solar. I've got solar at my house. But the sun's only out so many hours of the, out of the day. And But then there's wind. And wind is everywhere. And it can blow around the clock. So, mm-hmm. okay. You know, let's see if we can develop a system that responds to this very large demand uh, and with wind energy. And so we knew that we would have our work cut out for us because most wind turbines want really high wind speeds. And that's not something that's commonly found. So we focused in on lower wind speeds and um, developed our system. And we, we had certain performance metrics that we would have to hit in the beginning in order for it to be viable. And through our, our initial design and testing, we, uh, we found more potential than we thought was there. And that's when we knew that we had a project that was worth um, getting serious about. What were the goals at the outset? Meaning when you sat down and sketched this on the back of a napkin or however you designed it, maybe in CAD, what, what were some of the ideas or, or, or the goals where you sat down and said, if, if we can accomplish X, this would be a success? Because I'd love to hear what you started out with in, in your mind as far as conceptually versus where we are today. Is, did, did you, have you smashed your expectations? Were there challenges that you guys didn't anticipate? What, can you walk us through that? Yeah, well, so... It, with utility wind, um, the, the typical wind energy model is you go find a really windy spot and then you build a wind farm of a whole bunch mm-hmm. of wind turbines in that one spot. And then you take that power and you send it to the utility company and then the utility company distributes it to the, to the people. Well, it's a wonderful model uh, if you can tick all those boxes. But the reality is, is there's some real hurdles to entering that market. And... So, and that, I imagine the initial capital requirements are, are, are enormous to build those huge. I mean, I, I've seen that. I know what you're talking about. And each turbine's got to be millions of dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. And so very big capital requirements. Um, yeah, land acquisition, permitting, power purchase agreements with the utility. You know, having a buyer for the power that you generate, mm-hmm. uh, then doing all the site improvements. It's a huge undertaking to build a wind farm. And so, again, you know, if you can tick all those boxes and, you know, that it's, it's a great way to go. But uh, clearly there's some real uh, barriers to entry there that are going to prevent a lot of markets from building a traditional utility scale wind farm. So... We wanted to develop a system that would overcome those uh, transportation, installation, and operational challenges that are inherent with those big machines. And so, okay, well, we want to we develop a system that can be easily shipped anywhere in the world. Well, shipping containers are the way that goods are transported around the world. So... What's the biggest turbine that we can build that will fit inside of a standard container? And actually, in our case, um, there was a bit of an evolution of this. And so we started with a 100 kilowatt semi-portable machine that would fit in a 40-foot container. Mm -hmm. Then the 
uh, benefits of true portability came to the forefront. So we redesigned that and made that system on a trailer. And so that was a 50 kilowatt portable unit fit in a 40 foot container. Well, as we were exploring that, um, there was quite a bit of market interest in a smaller unit. And so we... Uh, to give us some sort of frame of reference uh, before we go further, how many kilowatt hours does it take to, say, power the average American home? Or what, what, what would be a good, um, a good comparison to make here? Just so I have it in my mind and our, our listening audience knows what we're, when we say 50, 100, 400 kilowatt hours, what we're really talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a, a great question. And uh, <clears throat> the average home in the United States which is a 1,750 square foot, three bedroom, two bath with air conditioning uses on average one kilowatt per hour or roughly 24 kilowatt hours in a day. Now to give that uh, some additional uh, reference, the home that I live in here in San Diego, we're with four people in it and TVs in every room, uh, but we're close enough to the coast where we don't have air conditioning we use on average one half of a kilowatt per hour. So I use- this is this is I assume where that measurement comes from. Then the average U.S. household is one kilowatt hour. Is that where, or is it just so coincidental that that one kilowatt hour is what it takes to? It has to be where the the, the unit of measurement comes from, in my mind, right? Yeah, yeah, no, and it, it is kind of coincidental that it, it rounds so nicely um, with the average U.S. home being, you know, one kilowatt per hour, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's a fairly easy metric to remember. Um, yeah. Now, on the other hand, when you're talking about uh, any sort of renewable energy, uh, they have what they call capacity factor. And basically what that means is, okay, you've got a... Uh, 100 kilowatt wind turbine, but because the wind is variable, you aren't going to make a full 100 kilowatts all the time. It's mm -hmm. going to be something less than that. So what percentage of your nameplate rating, that 100 kilowatts, are you making on average? And in utility wind, uh, 35 to 40% capacity factor is going to be pretty good. So so anyway, so back to to our story that where we started with a hundred kilowatt that went to a fifty, and then market demand was asking for a smaller unit, and so we said, okay, what, how big of a unit can we fit fit into a twenty foot container, and that was a ten kilowatt unit, and that's the one that we're commercializing first, and so. <clears throat> Now, again, the, the, we make our full output in about an 18 mile an hour wind, which is about uh, eight meters per second. And so that's 10 homes, 10 average homes at full tilt without any exception. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and when, when you say market demand, is that what you're referring to is demand here in the U.S. to power homes or, or are we talking about, cause I imagine if you're talking about 10 kilowatt hours and you're sending it to a remote village somewhere, even in the U S or in, in South America or in Africa, 
they, they would have different needs and what they would be utilizing it for. The, the, the average home even there probably wouldn't have nearly the appliances that we're operating and running. So those 10 kilowatt hours can probably go a lot further or, or reach a lot more people. And what, what market demand are you guys responding to currently where you're at with the company? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you get into uh, third world regions and a kilowatt hour goes a lot further than it does here in the United States. Uh, on the other hand, if you go to a job site where they're running, you know, um, powerful equipment, then it's not going to go nearly as far as powering a home. So mm-hmm. uh, the really the the market demand that we're, I mean, the, the the easiest way to think about our system is that it is a clean energy, lower cost alternative to diesel generators for edge of grid and remote electrification. I guess then um, maybe we could talk about what those applications look like. Um, because right. in my mind, I, I, I don't know, I probably wouldn't be the first person to be able to tell you where diesel generators are used most often. So what, where are they used most often? What are the most common use cases that you guys would be replacing a diesel generator for? Yeah, well... <laughs> Diesel generators are used quite broadly. There's billions of them that are running right now. Now, uh, in, in our go-to-market strategy, we are focused in on um, organic farming, uh, it, ranches, farms in particular. We're, we're looking very closely. We're working closely with organic farmers here locally. Uh, but there are applications um, throughout ranching, farming, uh, commercial industries, you know, for temporary power needs. Um, and then there's, uh, uh, well, there's all those needs. And then one of the best applications is our islands. You know, there's over 10% of the world's population live on islands and the vast majority of islands are not connected to a utility grid, meaning they are running on diesel generation, most of them. And at a, at a very high cost, because running a diesel generator is one expensive, but now when you're dealing with an island that has to have the fuel shipped in, chances are the, the fuel is going to be even more expensive and uh, fuel availability can become an issue. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot of applications across farming, uh, various commercial industries. Uh, Government and military. Uh, so every branch of the military, disaster relief, disaster response. Uh, and then, but the, the, the biggest market of them all is going to be the humanitarian applications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the close to 3 billion people in the world that uh, suffer without access to reliable power. Is there a progression here, meaning a go to market where your ticking each of those boxes one at a time. It's a, it's a, it's a daunting task when, when you figure out what your total addressable market is <laughs> because you want to do it all at once. Right. And, and the humanitarian in us wants to always probably start at the, you know, what's going to help the most people quickest. But if, if that doesn't, if that's not a viable option for the company right off the bat, I wonder how, how, how do you see this scaling? How does Uprise rise up? And um, are, are, are you going after the farming here uh, uh, in the mainland states to, to start out with and then branching out? I imagine as, as somebody who has, you know, a, a background between you and your father in boating, 
you might have connections throughout islands that other people, you know, w- wouldn't. I mean, obviously, island communities are are, are going to be big in boating, but maybe I just misunderstand <laughs> what your, you know, relationship was. Um, but but where do you guys see? How do you see the the progression for Uprise Energy? Where where are you currently focusing most of your energies and efforts? Yeah, so we are uh, rolling out domestically here in the United States first. And so we have um, a handful of uh, customers that we're, we're working with and that are expressing interest in large volumes. And so we're initiating pilot projects with uh, customers, mostly in the uh, farming industries here in the, in the States. Um, after the, the DEX market that we're going to be moving into is going to be the... Um, uh, into Australia, where we have the benefit of spending a good amount of time here under the uh, sponsorship of the Australian government uh, to grow our business down there. So we created a, a very good solid footprint in Australia, uh, which will be the next major market that we move into. And, and Australia will serve as a launch pad to move into New Zealand, the South Pacific Islands, and the ASEAN region where we're getting good uh, traction. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is, though, is we are getting inquiries from all corners of the globe. And there, there is, you know, we, we have a unique product that fills a, a very big demand and that's needed in every country around the world. And so we get these inquiries from all over the place. And so to your point, yeah, it's uh, uh, it, it's challenging to maintain that focus of this market first, followed by that market with all of the interests coming around. So we're developing systems to effectively vet some of these um, opportunities that are arising uh, that are outside of our specific go-to-market plan. And... Simultaneously, in parallel, uh, I have I'm working with uh, a couple of branches of the U.S. military right now, um, in in hopes to become partners with them and and develop some business opportunities throughout the military. You mentioned earlier there's about a billion diesel generators running at any given time. Is it, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, you did. Uh huh. Is is it is is there there a potential reality moving forward that we're going to have a billion of these units going in. And if we do, if if you were to just snap a finger and replace all those units overnight, do you have an idea of the enormity of, of how much, um, I mean, I I don't even know what we'd be looking at because it would be, it'd be beyond just carbon emissions that are being saved from running these units is, are are the, are, are the units you're building, are they more efficient? Are they more, is the lifetime value of these things? Are, are you saving governments and and ranchers and farmers money over the course of the the equipment what's what's the conversation like when you play this out from beginning to end just you can, we can even focus on just one example to say hey if you replace a digital generator today here are all the benefits stacked up side by side sure well if you if you use one of our wind turbines instead of a diesel generator over a 20 year time period not only will you save over a million dollars in fuel costs, you will also eliminate 2 million pounds of CO2 emissions, which is the equivalent of planting roughly 70,000 trees. So there is a, a financial benefit and an environmental benefit. 
And in terms of market size, yeah, there's well over a billion generators running right this instant around the world. So the size of the market is well beyond what we, we will be able to serve. Brilliant. And are, are we looking at, um, when, when you get brought in, let's say on, on a, uh, on the private side, maybe it's not governments who could have other incentives. Even individuals can have incentives through tax programs and, and government programs to help make this more cost effective than it might even already be. But if, if somebody has a diesel generator, let's say that just crapped out today, and the option is between a new diesel and a one of your units. Is the upfront cost comparable, um, or is is it really where they're making up uh, the lion's share is throughout that twenty year lifetime? I mean, the numbers you threw out were were, were pretty incredible. Yeah. The so over a twenty year period, if you're running a diesel generator nonstop, you're going to have to replace that diesel generator a couple of times throughout that twenty uh, year period. And so this is really factored over a 20-year life. Now, <clears throat> so the, the CapEx equipment cost to get started to generate an equivalent amount of power, we're going to be quite a bit more expensive. Um, but as you pointed out, there's various you know, incentives and tax breaks, and which will vary depending on the region that you're selling into mm -hmm. uh, to make the upfront purchase more palatable. And we have uh, financing options available as well. So you can spread that initial expenditure over time. Are you guys taking that into consideration when determining what markets to enter? I mean, I mean, I mean it's probably an easier sell in places where there are already some sort of incentives for people um, on the you know, government side, whether it is subsidies, taxes, grants, whatever, whatever they're, they're offering. Well, yeah, we, we certainly take that into consideration. Um, surprisingly, though, that hasn't been a, a major factor uh, in working with some of the customers that we're working with. Um, you know, some people are going to be very attracted to the equipment because of the, the cost savings. Some are going to be attracted because of the uh, carbon mitigation. And others are going to be attracted because of the unique capabilities of the system. You know, the ability to have uh, power that is easily deployed, it's not tethered by a power grid or reliant on a fossil fuel. I mean, that's never been done before. And so that unlocks a whole host of new opportunities. I mean, you take the, the military as the most extreme example of that. And right now, they're forward operating bases are all constrained by how much energy they can take with them to support themselves. And then the, the most dangerous job in the military is running those fuel convoys to deploy the fuel out to those forward operating bases. Because the bad guys know if you take out that <laughs> fuel convoy, all those guys out there are going to be stranded. So it, it's a big deal. And so they use drones to deliver fuel and they end up burning more fuel than they actually deliver. And the landed <laughs> cost ends up being 400 plus dollars a gallon. You know, so now with one of our systems, you hook it up and you tow it in your convoy. And now you essentially have infinite range. 
I love this conversation because we all really do make decisions based on different different things, right? Some people really might be swayed because they want to be environmental. Some people just look at the bottom line and they say, if this is going to save me money over time. National defense is one of those weird things where it, it seems to come up all the time. People talk about how our grid is one of the things that makes us most vulnerable, mm-hmm. right, from a national defense standpoint. But you hear all the time about um, how we need to be energy uh, um, independent. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why we're continuing to drill and open up new drilling. And that's one of the rationales for that is we, we need energy independence so that we're not dependent on foreign entities and it's a national defense thing. But you never hear about alternative energies. I almost wish there was somebody, some marketer in the alternative space who would talk about the benefits of a decentralized grid with, you know, and, and using alternative energies in order to make up for, for the difference, because it seems like if, if, if that truly is one of the major, uh, um, threats to our country, um, that could be something that gets somebody who might otherwise not be as interested in alternative energy. If, if, if we mostly collectively agree that this is the direction we need to be moving in anyway. Um, and so I, I love hearing stories about, you know, when, when you talk about the military and how this can help um, save lives, how this can help actually um, make our military more effective and mobile. There's there's people who are moved by that story in a way that they might not otherwise be when you talk about kilowatt hours or savings or, you know, environmentalism. Um, well, you, you touched on a lot of uh, important topics there, and, and I, I can comment on a number of them. So starting with the uh, the, the power grid here in the United States, you're absolutely correct. That has uh, been I- identified as one of our biggest, if not the biggest vulnerability that we have against bad actors. And, <clears throat> and the reality with our power grid is that when it was originally designed and installed, it was never expected to handle the kind of demand and load that we, that our modern society is placing on it. So the power grid, it's, they keep adding band-aids to it, in a sense, to uh, allow it to to stand up to the current demands. But I don't I don't think that that is a um, uh, a long-term solution. And yeah. so, fortunately, with modern technologies, uh, we have more distributed options. You know, the the solar that is on the roofs of so many homes and businesses these days and the on-site battery backup storage. And so that renewable energy generation and storage on-site yeah, is, is wonderful. And, and I truly believe that is the future, is we are gonna be much more distributed energy and less uh, centralized. And so our, our wind system clearly is a distributed energy system. And we're kind of, I think we're leading the way on wind energy, uh, distributed wind energy. If communities, and I don't know where at the municipal level this would occur, but you, we talked about solar panels and you can, you can slap a solar panel on top of your roof and it's not really, um, going to be mean anything to your neighbors, um, to the extent that it's, you know, they're not seeing a solar panel jutting up. Is this something that you could put in a backyard? And if not, is there a way where if communities decided they wanted to, um, whether it was at the city level, a town level, local level, um, to put up these, these wind units and, and have them, 
um, you know, around to help power their particular units. Is there a means to do that at a, at the local level? Meaning I, I see the applications for farmers. I see it at, with, with governments, big governments can, you know, use these for various different projects. And, um, but is, is there a way for the individual consumer to get involved with your units yet? Well, yeah, we're too big for your urban backyard. No question about it. Uh, we're more rural application. Uh, and, you know, I'd say that you would need a minimum of a half acre in order to set up one of our turbines. Uh, more appropriately, probably an acre. Uh, you could put one of our turbines on your site and probably without the requirement of a permit because it is a portable generator. Um, but yes, for new community developments, if a system like ours was included in that new community development plan, excellent. Um, I, I, I think you're right on the money with that. And I, I see a feature in that as well. Let's talk. There's, there's the two things we haven't really dove into that I really want to at least talk a little bit about is the portability and mobility of these things, just how easy it is to, to move them around. Um, and the, the battery storage, because that's a big, I mean, anytime Elon Musk is talking about anything, people get excited, even if he's talking out of his ass, you know, half the time people think this is real. He's just one of those people who, who, is able to excite the imagination, right? And and I think that's one of the the real brilliances of e- Elon Musk beyond many other things, but just his ability to get people excited about things. Um, and so he he talked for a long time about battery storage being you know the third key component. I think between Solar City, Tesla, and um, obviously trying to colonize Mars with SpaceX, you know, battery, battery storage is something that he's been championing. You guys have the ability to ship these units with storage already, right? With batteries completely charged. You mentioned earlier up to 400 kilowatt hours that you can get on site shipped to you. And then once this thing is up and running, um, it can maintain its, its, uh, capacity, indefinitely right what does it look like um a is that a 40 foot container that and and uh um because earlier we were just talking about a 100 watt being the largest wind turbine but i guess that's actually different than the storage on the ground so what sort of can can you tell us a little bit more about the batteries that ship with these units and 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 how those can can really benefit um I mean, it, it, it just seems like battery storage, that the, the, the better they become, the more you can do with, with the wind that you guys are, with the power you're, you're generating with the wind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, battery storage, batteries, um, you know, as, as Elon has shared with the world, is a really exciting space right now. And that uh, energy storage battery technologies are just increasing at a unbelievable rate. And so that's really a game changer for all of this distributed energy and electric vehicle and the transition towards more of a, an electric economy moving away from fossil fuels. Uh, now, from a portability standpoint, yes, our wind turbine, the entire mobile unit, the entire thing folds up like a transformer and it fits into a 20-foot shipping container or two in a 40-foot container. You can tow it with an ordinary pickup truck. We commonly tow ours with an F-150. Uh, and then 
while we've been talking about the wind turbine side of the, the machine, we can put a very significant amount of energy storage inside of the trailer, uh, as you said, up to 400 kilowatt hours. And so if having a uh, the maximum amount of backup power was uh, important to your application, you would load it up with 400 kilowatt hours of power, which means, um, well, when you deploy the wind turbine to the site, yeah, when you arrive at the site, you can set up the whole wind turbine by in less than an hour by one person. Game changer in itself. But the second you arrive on site, you can plug into the turbine and get all the power you need because you can deploy it with those 400 kilowatt hours of batteries fully charged. And again, you know, to put that in perspective, if the average U.S. home uses, call it 25 kilowatt hours in a day, that's the average U.S. home running for 16 days at full yeah. tilt without exception. But our wind turbine, you know, within an hour after the t time you got arrived at the site, it's up and generating power. And so it's there just to keep the battery system topped up. And so, you know, really what I think is important here is the fact that you have reliable power where you need it, when you need it. And mm -hmm. it, it can arrive, you know, ready to be plugged in. So whether we keep those batteries charged up with our wind turbine or we uh, in, include solar panels on this portable trailer to also keep the batteries charged, uh, we have options. And, you know, we one thing that we do is we uh, tailor the turbine and its a configuration to the application that it's intended to serve. Okay, I, I want to make sure I'm getting... I, I'm, I'm a fairly math minded person. My background was finance uh, years ago. But so if, if say I have a hundred uh, kilowatt hour wind turbine that's running and you said earlier uh, they, they use they use there, there was a term you used for the actual effective number um, when you're calculating how much it's, it's going to on average produce and it was 30 to 40 percent of that maximum number. Mm -hmm. So at 30 to 40 kilowatt hours at on average, does that mean you could be pretty confident that you could run 30 to 40 homes without draining battery, meaning that would just be the upkeep from the um, the turbine itself? And then if you have something like a 400 kilowatt hour battery on in times where there's much less wind, you're still able to maintain, you know, and, and, and power these things. And then when the wind kicks back up, once it's producing above 30 to 40 kilowatts, Every, every additional kilowatt hour is going to go to charge the battery, or am I fundamentally misunderstanding the technology? No, I think you're on the right track. Um, I, you know, I, I will uh, offer a couple of slight technical corrections here. Um, <laughs> as many as are needed. <laughs> so when, when you're talking about uh, power generation, you're, the instantaneous output is, re, is measured in watts. You know, okay. every thousand watts is a kilowatt. And if so, if you're generating five kilowatts and you maintain that five kilowatts for an hour's time, you've generated five kilowatt hours. Uh, so when you put that time component at the end, that's how much the average power over that time has been generated. So when we refer to our wind turbine, um, the, the unit that we are commercializing first is a 10 kilowatt unit, but we can include 400 kilowatt hours of battery storage 
with that unit. So yes. So now, now the 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 reality though with any kind of renewable energy is when you're generating power from natural resources, you're um, you don't get to control how much power you're generating. You're generating whatever the wind or the sun or the the water allows you to generate. And and that never matches what the customer uses. So you need to have uh, something to buffer that power in between the generation and the user. And in our case, that's our energy storage or our battery system. So all of the electrons that we generate, you know, all of the watts of power go into the batteries and then the batteries send their power through an inverter to the user. So so I I I think maybe with that little bit of extra explanation that also answers your question. I think it does. I'm, you know, one of the snobs here in the Western world or the first, whatever term you want to use for people who have ready access to energy. And so the idea of replacing, I, I'm very much, you know, a progressive minded in, in, in the sense that I, I believe we need to move very, very quickly toward almost exclusively alternative energy to, to the extent we, that, that we can. But I do want to talk about for the 3 billion people who are either energy insecure, I don't know if that's a term that gets used. I know food insecurity is something, but people who don't have ready access to energy. What does it look like? Do you have an idea if and when, you know, these units get shipped to a village or, or to whomever? A, what are the, the, the first use cases for these? What are people even plugging in? Um, and, and, and how does this change their lives? I mean, w- what is having energy? I, I think m- most people just take it so for granted or most people in, in, in my position or our position, I could say, um, just take it so for granted that we can just plug almost anything into a wall and, and a light bulb goes on or our computer goes on or more often it's a computer and a screen and a laptop and a light. But, you know, if, a, a hundred things at a time, what does it mean for people who don't have energy what, what what sort of things are they plugging in what are they what do they do with with your units yeah i you're absolutely right um here we are we're in southern california we're in san diego and uh energy poverty is not a thing here and so uh, a lot of people just take the the power that we have access to for granted you, you hit the switch the lights turn on you press start on the coffee maker the coffee brews you know, most people don't even think about where that power comes from or what it would be like to live without. Uh, you know, and when when we have had power outages, that's a uh, my phone practically melts down after a power outage because people realize the importance of electricity here. Now, when when you look at the the world and you, you know, I, I cannot think of a bigger differentiator between the haves and the have nots in the world than access to power. Because when you have access to energy, anything is possible. And you have a lot of people around the world that basically spend their entire lives just staying alive on, they, they, they work on sustenance. And a lot of that is going out into the forest and chopping down trees so you can have wood to burn to create a little bit of energy. And, but it's, it's all around just staying alive. Now you bring a system like ours in and it provides the power 
And not only does it provide power, but it's also a fully connected IoT device that provides connectivity. So, uh, you know, in the beginning, the power requirements in a humanitarian area are going to be the very most basic, you know, lighting, uh, refrigeration, uh, maybe heating, cooking, um, things like that, the bare necessities. But the exciting thing about bringing what, a system like ours into a humanitarian area is you, you can literally build a little micro economy around one of our wind turbines. So now you've got the power to, well, it, it's going impre- to improve your health, your wealth, your prosperity, um, you know, everything gets better when you have access to power. So, you know, I, I don't, I think this is one of the technologies where we can sit here and imagine what they would do with a system like ours, but not until you actually deploy it. Until you, you get see it there. The ingenuity of these people uh, come into play and, and you see how they really actually use it. And so, one of the, for whatever reason, one of the comparisons or, uh, I'm, I'm coming up with is it, it seems in our minds, it seems like there's such a natural progression toward things or, or th- these are the way things are supposed to happen. We're supposed to develop. But then you can look all over places, you know, throughout Africa where there was no real traditional banking in a lot of places, but all of a sudden they have access to a mobile phone and banking happens, right? I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of examples of these mobile technologies where we thought, oh, first this has to happen and then this and then this. And all of a sudden, a new technology comes up and it completely reinvents an ecosystem, you know, and you see that kind of innovation. And that's if we're anything as a species, we're innovative. Right. So I really love the. the Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) No, don't apologize. I really love the story that that we're able to tell. And I, I think you're right. I think it's it's really about getting getting the units out there and seeing what happens in real time because i think some of them are pretty easy to guess at and you already named uh, a handful but i think we'll be surprised by what people but by by the type of innovation and ingenuity we would see yeah yeah absolutely and so you know you look at many parts of africa and they leapfrogged right over traditional telephone systems right and they went straight to the mobile phone And that's because the infrastructure required to set up a traditional phone system uh, was not realistic. And Mm -hmm. now you have a wireless device and wow, okay. So that's a trend that you see uh, across many industries is things are going wireless. You know, from our TV remotes to the cell phones that we use, you know, the the world is is going wireless and power, um, you know, is, is the next thing. So... Yeah, now we can bring power easily to these remote areas without having to wire them in. And so that's really exciting. And to, you know, really, you know, take another step up on my soapbox here. Um, when we look at, uh, a re- you know, I think a lot of people are looking at Silicon Valley to come up with the next big tech innovation. Well, I argue that with the billions of people that are struggling without access to power, when you bring them power, and you unlock their creativity and their their natural human spirit and wanting to create and innovate and build, that is the next frontier. That is the next big uh, global innovation revolution is empowering those people that have struggled without and sit back and watch and see what they create. 
Yeah, we talked about with the internet, we're, we're democratizing access to information, but it's really only democratized to the people who have access to it to begin with. And you're really democratizing access to one of the most basic. I mean, you can look at energy right next to clean drinking water, I think, which energy I'm sure can help with solve those sorts of issues. So they, they probably go hand in hand. So I, I really love it. There's one irony here that I've been wanting to, I, I've, I've just had this in the back of my mind the entire time we've been talking. So I have to say, have you ever thought about the fact that you come from a family in, and, and you yourself were in the boating industry and sailing, which is a technology in and of itself that for years existed with the sail, right? The sail was how you harnessed wind. And yet here you are building blades that spin mm-hmm. and it's, it's just a weird thing to think about. Is there no application for sails in the wind energy space when as a species, this is what propelled us across the oceans. This is what that this was, that was our first, maybe not our first foray. There are probably other ways that we were capturing wind and, and using it for, for different purposes, but I don't think anything's more ubiquitous in, in, in human history than the sail. Right. Is it has that ever anything did that ever dawn on you? Is it something you've spent any amount of time thinking about? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I, I reflect quite often about the the interesting background that we have and, you know, the, the talents that have culminated together to create this product. I mean, this this uh, wind turbine didn't get created in a vacuum. You know, this is the product of, you know, a, a long and rich career of my dad. Um, and then my own interests and skills, and then having run a, you know, a fairly big company here in town for a lot of years, uh, we had a, a very good network that we were able to cherry pick some very specialty talents to come together and collaborate with us to bring this product online. So, yeah, the, the wind is a big deal, um, but... I might argue that the hydrodynamics of determining how to uh, design a boat that travels efficiently through the water, um, both in hull shape and propulsion with the propellers, might be a more uh, a closer or, or more important history that has influenced what we're doing today. That's interesting. I've also heard that the early airplanes or, or, or the, the major commercial planes are designed more similar to a whale almost or, or with hydrodynamics in mind more than necessarily aerodynamics. I, I don't imagine that can be the case, but they certainly look like big whales. And so we, we've definitely there's a, there seems to be a lot of spillover or overlap between in, industries and an innovation in one space like in, in the yacht, you know, can easily lead to an innovation in wind turbines. And I think that that's what we've seen. So I'm, I'm really, really excited. I want, I want to just leave one last thing with you. What, what, what's the most exciting thing in your mind? Like when, when you think about what you guys are doing, what, uh, you know, what excites you most? What's the, what's the last thing you want to leave with our audience? <laughs> uh, because I think I've taken enough of your time and I do want to continue this conversation. So we'll have to do this again. But, you know, when, when you think about where you guys are going, whether it's a year, five, ten, what, what is it that, that, you know, you can't stop thinking about? Well, yeah. Uh, so there, there's a retrospective excitement and a looking forward excitement. You know, I'm, we, have, uh, we have made some very uh, interesting and important innovations with how we capture 
the kinetic energy from wind. And we haven't really gotten into that side of the conversation, but we, we've done some really cool stuff. And one of the things that I, I think is kind of cool is we, um, we, we've developed a system, we call it dancing with the wind. And what that refers to is the way that the rotor, the, the blades on our system, the RPM speeds up and slows down to match changes in wind speed. And we do that with our own proprietary hardware software integration, which we had a concept, the energy and wind grows exponentially with wind speed. So in our focus of maximizing the energy density of our portable wind turbine, how do we take advantage of those exponential bursts of power? Well, the answer is to let the rotor speed up and slow down to follow those changes. And so we developed this proprietary software-hardware combination in order to capture that. And what we've been developing for a number of years, it just it dawned on me here a few months ago that what we're doing is analogous to the way the electric vehicles use regenerative braking. And so a way to think about our system is our computer is feathering the brake, making little micro adjustments about 300 times a second to make sure we're making as much power as we possibly can without bringing the system to a stop. And so as the kinetic energy and the wind uh, speeds up and slows down, we're adjusting our pressure on that brake to make more or less power depending on the kinetic energy and the wind. And that that is a real breakthrough. And that's why you know our system is performing a multiple better than the incumbent technology. And you know, in an industry like wind, where typically wind turbines are differentiated by a couple percentage points, we're actually differentiated by a multiple because of this feature that I just talked about. <clears throat> so from an engineering and uh, innovation and technical standpoint, I think that's pretty cool and pretty exciting. Um, but moving forward, you know, recognizing the 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 powerful impact we can make in the world, the the lives that we can improve, you know, the the environment that we can improve, um, you know, being a part of this clean energy transition, being a part of empowering people around the world that have struggled without access to power, uh, being a part of assisting our our federal government in disaster response and military uh, effectiveness. Um, you know, all of that I, I find incredibly exciting. So, you know, this is um, this is a, a, a startup, um, and we've been at this for a while, and it is it's not been easy. But um, knowing the importance of the work that we're doing, that's what you know gives me the motivation to wake up early every morning and come into the office and you know do as much as I can. It's definitely not a bad thing to to wake up and, and, and do every day. I think that's, a, it's a tremendous purpose and you're giving me a lot of hope for the future. So Jonathan, I really appreciate it. Um, people can go to upriseenergy.com. We're going to throw some, uh, links in the show notes as well. Anywhere else you want to direct people to, to find out about you? Well, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're social beings. And so we have a presence on all the major social platforms. And so you can find us at uprise energy across pretty much all platform and upriseenergy.com. 
Yeah. And check out the, the video you put up on YouTube was pretty incredible. And that's that three hour turnaround from getting the, uh, getting the unit in the, in, in the trailer to getting it up and back again. Was that, is that round trip you said three and a half hours? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think we were chatting about that before we went live. Um, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's make mention of it now. And then, yeah, we'll... yeah. Well, so yeah, here, uh, recently we, we had a pretty cool, uh, exercise where the idea was to take our wind turbine to go testing, but uh, in reflecting on what we did, we left our facility in Kearney Mesa, San Diego. We drove about 12 miles to Fiesta Island, set up the wind turbine, ran it for over an hour, generated a lot of power. It was a nice windy day, broke it down, towed it back to our factory, and we did all of that in just over three hours. And so that, that was a, that was a big deal. Um, that's never been done before. And to have a renewable energy system that is that mobile and that productive in terms of power generation, um, it, that was a real breakthrough. So, you know, just over three hours to, to perform all that transportation round trip plus running the turbine for over an hour. That was a cool accomplishment. Brilliant. I'd love to come out and see it actually one of these times. I'm local here in San Diego too. As you know, we'd, we'd interviewed before. Um, so anyhow, Jonathan, it was a real pleasure. Uh, I'd love to keep up the conversation as we go forward and I'm definitely going to keep an eye on you guys at Uprise. Uh, and thanks for your time. Hey, thank you, Aaron. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Appreciate you having me on. Anytime. Cheers. Cheers. Sure.